So, Nicholas Bornos of CapitalLink, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the first panel of our three-day conference. The, uh, the theme of this conference this year is shipping, is it all glitter and gold? But there is a question mark at the end. So, as we know, and uh, as Ted pointed out in his, op in, uh, his opening remarks, what a difference a year has made. Um, we have seen that uh, across uh, sectors, different segments perform differently. So this panel with industry captains from different uh, shipping segments are going to share with us their insight on uh, the dynamics, the trends, the developments, the challenges in each segment. But also there's a common thread uh, throughout the uh, shipping industry so we have a tremendous panel to open up, but the theme of the conference is everything, glitter and gold. What are the main opportunities, challenges, and risks in the industry? Ted, please take over. And again, thank you to everybody for joining us on this tremendous uh, panel and, and great conference. Thank you, Yeah. Thank you, Nicholas. Um, and good morning, everyone, again. And good morning, panelists. Um, quickly to introduce, although I think they are well recognized by the audience. Robert Bugby, the CEO of Scorpio Tankers. John Kustas, CEO of Danaus Corporation. Petros Papas, CEO of Starbolt Carriers. Nikos Tsakos, Chairman and CEO of Tsakos Energy Navigation. And Paul Wogan, CEO of Gaslog. Um, guys, we, we've got a tight schedule. We've got a power-packed panel here. Um, I know you all have a lot of great things to say. Uh, let's keep let's try and keep our answers uh, short and crisp as we can, uh, but substantive, of course, uh, so that we can manage the clock and give everybody a chance to uh, contribute. Um, we'll start with a question that I would like to ask to all of the panelists. Um, and I think it goes along the line of, you know, the question posed by the uh, title of the panel is, is it all glitter and gold with a question mark, as, as Nicholas said. And I'd like to ask you, uh, for each of your businesses, what really are the key drivers of value over the next three years, uh, as as you see it today with with the current market, you know, environment? And uh, I'll start with John Kustas, please. Well, thank you, Ted. Uh, I think that uh, it's definitely not glitter. Uh, the moment that you see actual cash, you know, getting in the company. Uh, what is interesting, I mean, this time is that the actual valuation, despite, uh, let's say, I mean, okay, especially for Danaus, uh, which has appreciated about a thousand percent, but also for all the other companies, uh, at least in uh, the container sector, uh, our valuation is not just is not the valuation uh, derived from uh, let's say the values of the ships, mm -hmm. uh, the NAV, because already if you, I mean all uh, uh, container companies are trading at a significant discount to NAV, which is even close to 50%. So our valuation 
is practically, let's say, uh, discounted cash flow plus crap. Uh, in, in this respect, uh, you know, we definitely believe that, you know, there are very solid drivers uh, in the container sector for uh, upside. And uh, what is really important is that the, uh, the counterparty risk which at least for Danaus, uh, it has cost dearly in the past, uh, is no longer there because the liner companies, our customers, are making much more money than we do. So uh, this is what makes, I mean, this cycle in the container industry different from 2008, where we might have had, let's say, high valuations and... Uh, uh, high charter rates, okay, not as high as these ones. But at that time, our customers were not making nothing like the money they're making now. So uh, all this uh, makes the whole business model much more robust compared to that kind of period. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's as far as container shipping is concerned, it's definitely gold, not glitter. <laughs> okay, thank you, John. Uh, I'm going to shift the question then to Paul Wogan. Uh, thanks, Ted. I, I think the, the, the real drivers for us, you know, we've, we've seen a big increase in the LNG uh, carrier rates over the last 12 months. And the big driver for us is really around availability of ships. And what I mean by that is, I think the charters had got into a stage where they were thinking, a little bit like you want to get a taxi in Manhattan, you come out to your hotel, every time you can call a cab, the one comes along and you go, and then you want to use it when it rains and you can't find one. And so you decide, actually, I really need a driver and a car. I need a limo that's going to take me where I'm going. And I think that's what's happening in the LNG shipping market right now. Last year, you could make huge money in the winter on arbitrage between the price of gas in the US and the price of gas in Europe and in Japan, but you physically could not get a ship. And so a lot of the traders left money on the table because they couldn't move the cargoes. And so what we've seen this year is a big uptick in traders wanting to take, uh, and majors wanting to take ships on time charter. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing that sort of following through this year. And we're seeing, you know, whereas before with existing ships that 10 years old, we would have been struggling to put ships on one-year charters. They're now going on three-year charters, four-year charters. And so I think this really has legs for the LNG shipping industry because there's an understanding that we are what makes the LNG shipping work. If you haven't got a ship, you can't take advantage of these massive arbitrage opportunities. And so that's giving us the opportunity to locking at good rates for long periods uh, again, we're, you know, coming back a little bit towards that industrial model. So I think it's looking very good uh, for LNG um, over the next uh, few years. And, and I would definitely uh, um, agree with John. It's not glitter, it's, uh, it's gonna be gold. Okay. Mr. Bugby, how about your thoughts on this question? Well, right now in the tanker market, whether it's crude or it's products, it's neither glittering and it's neither gold. But I think that the you know the 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 great thing with shipping is that they follow their cycles, and 
I'm very sure that, you know, it's it's right now is actually going to become, you know, our time and our turn in the tank market and particularly the product market. And one of the great things is, is that the other markets being strong, yard capacity is filled up and very difficult now to get a, a tanker new building order even within 2004. The, we've got the lowest new building order book on record at the moment. And on the demand side, it's very simply an opening up trade. As soon as you know, countries open up, we start to drive more, we start to be more mobile in particular. You know, as we get into our stronger season winter, we'll see South America's vaccination rates have gone up. They're opening up. Australia and New Zealand will reopen again. And we all of us know people in business now and people in, you know, we just heard that Nick had just stepped off a plane from New York. I mean, there's, we all know people right now today that are in the air flying, you know, crossing the, the continents and going internally. And that will only increase. And that's going to add to the demand. So the demand will take off against a very fixed supply. And in addition, inventories around the world in products and crude are, are you know, well below five-year levels. And I think what's very exciting is that it's for you know, the first time in many of these cycles, it's very hard to get an immediate supply response. The, the, those new building yards are built up for you know, quite a long time now. Oh. Petros, how about your thoughts on this one? I did. Um... Good morning. Good yes, several, several. Um, short term, I would say, well, first of all, maybe it's not even gold. I think it could be platinum. Um, short term, it's COVID. Has a lot to do with, um, with how, with congestions in ports and uh, a, lot, a number of inefficiencies that have actually helped uh, the dry side a lot. Um, China is, and how China will move is very important. They, uh, they have 40% of world trade, but also the world economy. Supply of vessels, as Robert mentioned, is, very, is also important with a 6.5% supply. Uh, this looks pretty good going forward. Uh, longer term, in environmental regulations, these are going to have a major effect in our business. But I'm pretty sure we will, I'm not going to expand on all that. I'm sure we will uh, have the, uh, the opportunity to expand more during. Uh, and and uh, said to me earlier, uh, one driver for what's happening right now is uh, funds diverted from services to goods. I mean, people stayed at home People didn't travel, so people started buying more stuff. And that, of course, helped tremendously the container business. And as a poor relative, um, dry bulk as well, following uh, the container business. Mm -hmm. Good. Okay, Nikos, let's, let's get your views on this question as well, please. Thank you. Well, as uh, I came back from... Uh... Waking up New York, I have to say, New York feels like it's weekend the whole every day. 
I mean, you are there and you see it, but uh, many, many empty restaurants and many empty taxis, Mr. Hogan, you'll be very happy <laughs> here <laughs> in this case. But things are turning back. Uh, I was with uh, joking with uh, Nick Bornozis last week, uh, walking down the streets. You don't hear any sirens. You don't uh, Restaurants are, are empty, but uh, I think it will change. Well, in our case, I think in shipping, we were victims of our... Uh, I would say of uh, the early the early success and the overstocking that happened in 2020. Uh, it's it's very usual when you have uh, a, a crisis or a panic, people overstock in uh, with Cotango happening on energy. So I think everybody overstocked. I still remember the very difficult days of the of the early the early lockdown of March and April, just walking. Uh, down the street uh, and getting phones from uh, most of the oil companies, uh, you know, asking us for one ship at any price, sort of thing. And you know, this is something that uh, all of us provided to to our long-term charters at uh, at uh, very very high rates. And of course, after that, the world stopped, as you very rightly said. Uh, overstocking now is being is being used. Inventories are being used as uh, as we speak. Uh, and I believe that the market is uh, away from its uh, from its low, uh, and I see Robert is already wearing glasses to try and uh, and uh, count the very small returns that we get in tankers. I think uh, it's, uh, but uh, hopefully we have been at the bottom of this, and things are ter- turning uh, turning around. And uh, I believe this winter will be a good proof of uh, how quickly the market uh, can can turn around and become healthier. The long term prospects, uh, I agree. With what Robert said, uh, that uh, we are in almost in every segment in a good position of, with supply not coming because a lot of uh, our colleagues do not know exactly, like ourselves, uh, what type of ships to order from the future. So I believe that the worst is over, and uh, the, the at, at least the tanker rates are going to be coming back. Sounds great. Uh, thank you. All right, um, guys, I'm going to shift gears. Um, I, I, you know, we we talked about some specific questions for each of you, so I'd like to I'd like to to turn now and 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 ask each of you one one of those specific questions, if I could. Um, and 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 Paul, I'll start with you. Um, you 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 touched on it a little bit in your in your uh, in your opening in your opening comment to the first question. Um, what I'd like to understand, if you go a little bit deeper on, you know. How do you really see this market developing? You know, if if you look out over the next, you know, one to three years, um, and also kind of work in your thoughts on on you know the pretty dramatic uh, current market situation for for the commodity, and and how that's impacting the you know the business. Yeah, I mean, I think um, it is all about the commodity. If if you look back a year. We were just coming out of a summer where 120 cargoes had been shut in in the U.S. And the question was, when does the LNG market balance? Is it going to be 25? Is it going to be 26? You know, we have this over oversupply at the moment. And we had one cold winter, which blew all that away. I mean, there was nobody this, win- this summer talking about shutting in cargoes, and you still have European inventories which are 15% below where they, uh, the five-year average. So this time of year, normally they're about 91% full. Right now, they're about 76% full. And Europe is getting really worried. Do we have enough gas if there's another cold winter? 
Hmm. And that's just driven the commodity pricing. I was looking at it, you know, uh, before I came on the panel. This time last year, we were looking at $2.45 Henry Hub. We're now $5.50, something like that. But we were looking at something like $4.50 TTF. We're now up near $30. We were looking at something like $5 in JKM, which is the Japanese uh, market. We're now over $30. So the, the, the LNG market has tightened incredibly quickly. And what's driven it really? One, cold winter, but also what's happening in China right now. China have got a big step change in their demand for gas. And what it's done is it's driven the ton miles. So the, the incremental volumes have come out of the US and the incremental demand has come out of Asia. And that's the longest haul that you can have basically for, for LNG ships. And that's mm -hmm. really what's tightened the market. And we don't see that uh, changing. Now, again, with LNG ships, you can only order um, and get your shipping in two and a half years time. So we see what the order book is. We can see what we think the demand is. If we continue to see the ton mile effect that we're having of cargoes going to Asia, this market looks as though it's going to remain tight for shipping until at least 2025 when the next batch of ships uh, can be ordered. So it really is a kind of demand-driven, you know, arbitrage-driven uh, trade right now. But we, I, don't, I really don't see anything that changes that uh, uh, in the short term. There, there are a lot of new buildings coming. I think we've got about 107 new ships uh, on order for a fleet of you know, 500 ships. Sounds a lot. But only 17 of those ships are not uh, contracted uh, at the mm -hmm. moment. You know, so you're being taken up by the volumes that are coming on. So, yeah, um, I think as long as we all stay um, disciplined in 2025, which is a big if, I know, um, you know, we, they could have even more legs, but through then, I think this is looking like a very, very uh, good market. And, and just real quickly, because China's been, I mean, they've been a strong, you know, buyer in, in, in the market for, for some time. And, 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 and I, I think if not the largest, you know, going to become the largest, but something is kickstarted further to demand. Is, is that just switching out of coal or is it, is it more than that? I, I don't think I play Monday morning quarterback because I, I kind of was thinking this for a, for a while. What happened in 2018, uh, uh, they, had, uh, they really went to change out of coal in industrial and, and domestic use into gas and not driven by CO2, but driven by pollution in the big cities. The 28 big cities uh, went for that. There actually was a supply crunch and they couldn't get the gas the last mile. And so they've spent the last three or four years building the infrastructure, building the import terminals, uh, rationalizing the pipeline there. We now have Pipe China, allowing third-party access into it. And now they've got the infrastructure in place. I think that's why we're seeing this next big step, demand, uh, uh, step in uh, demand increase. And this year, without a doubt, in my, they will become the largest importer of LNG. They'll overtake uh, Japan. So, you know, and I don't see that, again, I don't see that changing uh, in the near term. Got it. Um... Robert, I want to ask you a question on um, Scorpio Tanker's competitive, you know, position in the market. You've got, you've got, uh, you've got arguably the leading fleet in the product tanker space um, in terms of size, in terms of average age. I presume you you believe that's giving you a competitive advantage going forward. Would would you would you be looking in this market to strategically continue to grow the fleet, or are you? Are you happy with the position you have today, given the given the fundamental picture that you described earlier? Oh, I think we're really 
that we're really happy with where we are right now. We're not just happy because the fleet is, you know, is, is the newest fleet out there um, in, in terms of the, the major fleets, but also because we, you know, we're through a lot of the capital expenses of the most, you know, we've done 75% of our fleet has been dry docked in the last 18 months. So as we expect, we expect this turn to come very soon. I mean, traditionally, the product tanker market turns in early November. And, um, you know, and then from that point, we see, you know, a multiple number of years because of the constraints on supply, plus the refining, the change in dynamics for the refiners, which will increase ton miles to, you know, take cash in. And what we're looking for is this has been a long slog for us. We've been waiting and the shareholders of Sting have been waiting a long time and um, we need to get a return on the equity. And the, you know, we've got enough leverage. Buying another two or three ships or whatever is going to do nothing. We already have very significant operating leverage to a market improvement. Yep. Thank you. Uh, John Kustis, um, Denaus has had up to the year to date, uh, I would say a very active year. Uh, growing the fleet, um, uh, chartering, uh, entering into new time charters, um, and and a lot of um, interesting developments, you know, on the financial side. You know, working working with the balance sheet. Um, what what would you what would you say are the key takeaways from this, and 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 how is it positioning you going forward? Well, as we all know, shipping is a kind of a cyclical industry. There are times that you expand. And there are times that you just collect the money. Uh, I think that we are probably at the collecting the money phase uh, nowadays. Uh, you know, one thing that we really want to concentrate uh, is to be able to uh, bring our Debt considerably down, and uh, really to be ready for the next uh, expansion, which will come together with the clarification of all uh, the environmental regulations. Uh, and you know, container ships uh, actually by themselves they consume more than half of uh, the marine fuel. And uh, so uh, definitely container ships are in the forefront of the whole fuel saving uh, exercise. So at this moment, I don't think that uh, we're really looking into further uh, expansion of the fleet. Uh, first of all, because uh, the prices are at levels uh, which you know will make returns uh, expected returns rather small. Uh, but uh, I think we need to concentrate on uh, how to comply with the new environmental regulations from an operational uh, perspective. And that's really uh, where we want to uh, concentrate. Hmm. 
Okay. Uh, Nick Tacos, um, I wanted to ask you. Um, Ten has a relatively smaller, certainly compared to, to to the other sectors that you that you're active in, relatively smaller positions in both LNG shipping and shuttle tankers. Are these sectors that you would be looking to continue to grow in? How do you think about that? Yes, thank you. Well, we have, uh, as I said, a, a diversified. Uh, energy uh, fleet. Uh, we always want to follow the LNG markets. I believe LNG uh, can be a significant part of the energy chain going forward. So, uh, however, I, I was never very comfortable with the technology that changes quicker than my iPhone technology. So that's why we took it uh, a, step, uh, a step at a time, trying to accommodate every technology from uh, you know, the steam turbines to the tri-fuels to the XDF, uh, you know, hopefully the Megis. And uh, at some stage, uh, like Paul knows, uh, perhaps the ball will stop rolling on the LNG and it will be you know, somewhere. Because the residual, the residual value risk for all of us is significant when uh, technology changes so far. Um, so we will be continuing those two markets. We're very uh, happy and proud with the operational capacity and the, the joint ventures we have there with, uh, with Hyundai. Uh, shuttle tankers is something uh, that we are also focusing on and growing uh, and looking uh, at our first six vessels with dual fuel capacity, which we announced against the long contracts to major oil companies uh, last week. Uh, no. So in that, we're, you know, we have the fleet of 72 vessels, uh, the majority of them being on the, on the crude and product side, but always uh, following uh, uh, LNG. Uh, and shuttle tankers uh, as a significant part of our strategy. Thank you. Uh, Petros, for you, um, you know, Starbulk over the, over the last several years, I would say, has been quite active on the, on the consolidation side, um, ship for share type transactions and, and significantly grown the fleet in that manner. Um, do you see the potential for further consolidation in, in the sector, you know, in, 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 in the current you know, robust market environment, um, and is that something that is 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 of interest to Starbuck, or or do you feel you have sufficient scale today to uh, to um, to accomplish the objectives? Thank you, Ted. Um, I don't think we would say no to an accretive transaction. Uh, we think that uh, size matters in uh, various. Uh, sectors like OPEX, GNA, commercially, people come to you first if you're a big company. Um, a very important thing is that you can attract talent in a big company. Um, you can also, you also attract institutional investors, which is very important. So we are, um, we're positive about that. And um, people know that we're fair players. We've done deals with Germans and Italians and Americans and Norwegians and Greeks. Um, and we have uh, demonstrated that we're flexible. Uh, we play a fair game and we have common sense. So I think both we are interested and I think that other people might be interested to join us uh, going forward. So yes, the answer is yes. Um, if there is attractive deals, we will do them. Hmm. Hmm. Great, thank you. Um, all right, then I'm gonna shift back to a question that, that I'll ask uh, of, of each of the panelists. Um, 
and that is uh, regarding differentiation and how do each of you um, seek to differentiate the companies you run in, in the market? And I, I guess I'm thinking primarily from the point of view of the customer and, and, and the investor. And let me start with, uh, I'll start with Nikos on that one. Thank you. Well, I think uh, every model has its uh, pros and cons. Uh, we have chosen, we have been in the, being Greek, we believe that shipping is a marathon race and not a sprint. So we try to do things with longer term, uh, both with our investor base and also with our charters base. So whereas we keep a significant part of our business in, in spot or at least in profit sharing arrangements, we tend to go for the longer term businesses that provide us the capacity to renew our fleet in today's very, I would say, technologically interesting uh, periods of time, uh, hand, uh, hand to hand with the, with the end user. So I would say that's what differentiates us. And that's why TEN has been able to have a steady return in a very cyclical time. Uh, I still have a... Fr it's fresh in my mind from my presentations in New York. We've been public 20, 28 years, and we have an average uh, uh, dividend yield of, of five and a quarter, uh, having paid in excess of uh, half a billion dollars in dividends. We, we have been able to do this uh, by long-term, mainly by long-term contracts, and sometimes leaving some of the upside on the table uh, on, on the spot market. So I think that, that's the model we've been working, and I think it has served as well through thick and thin as a company. And I believe that dividend has been paid in every year um, since, you, since you've been a public company, which is, which, exactly. is, which is impressive, which is definitely impressive. Um, okay, thank you. Um, let me then ask Robert, what, what, uh, what differentiates Scorpio tankers in the market? Robert, you're, you're muted. Robert, yeah. you're muted. Ah, sorry. Thank you. Um, from the customer side, what differentiates us is our fleet. I mean, as, as pointed out before, it's very modern and it's also very homogeneous. I mean, we have um, you know, many of the ships that are you know, our sisters in each of the various classes. And we have you know, a significant amount of ships that we can provide to the customers in all of the four key categories of the product tanker market. So we have that scale of information and the scale of service so that we can enter into um, you know, contracts of a freightment if we want to, et cetera. From the, from the shareholder side, I think one of the things that, that, that we've always had is volume and liquidity. So a, a fund in these, these times, what's very important to them is to be able to get in and get out. And, you know, that's something that is, has really been um, almost all the time available to shareholders in uh, Scorpio tankers. And also, we, at this point, are very pure. We, we, we believe that the market is, is going to improve. You know, as Papa's pointed out, people are going to change from spending money on goods to spending money on travel services going out, et cetera, et cetera. So as that, as that market improves, because virtually all of the vessels are on the spot market, that's, that's going to be an immediate improvement into the bottom line. Thank you. 
John Kustos, could you address this question for us, please? Uh, yes, thank you, Ted. Uh, as you know, in container uh, shipping is, uh, you know, compared to the other two sectors, is the one that is more, let's say, customer-centric because uh, we do not operate any spot vessels. All our ships are chartered multi-year commitments and that's not just uh, now it's always been the case uh, we are building ships with long-term charters uh, for our customers uh, so uh, really i think that the most important quality that you know we want really to develop in our company is the ability to understand and execute all the requirements of our customers and uh, this is extremely important uh, nowadays because uh, when we have to comply with uh, all the future environmental regulations, uh, it's not just about building new ships uh, or about, uh, let's say, using fuels which do not exist. I think the number one response has to be uh, the efficiency and reduction of the assets that we already have. And to achieve that, you need a different level of cooperation with your charters. And uh, we believe that uh, with uh, our technological expertise uh, and uh, our advantage in uh, digitalization, which, you know, for us, uh, you know, we have been at the forefront of this process for many, many years. Uh, this will give us a significant advantage. Now, as far as, let's say, the investors, uh, the company are concerned, uh, I think that liquidity, as uh, Robert said, is very important. I think that from all our peers, uh, we have the highest liquidity in terms of percentage of uh, shares traded every day. Uh, so uh, it is, uh, I think this is uh, one of the most important uh, aspects for investors. Uh, the other thing is of course the dividend. Uh, with our model, uh, the dividend can be uh, steady and uh, can be also let's say, ensured in the longer term. Uh, yes, I must admit that we have been a bit stingy on the dividend compared, let's say, to the uh, money we've been making. Uh, but uh, yes, this is something that, uh, of course, is going to be addressed through time. And uh, of course, our number one concern is not just the short-term uh, distribution, uh, but uh, really the ability to uh, see that dividend as an ever-growing uh, number uh, together with the companies of our own profitability. Okay, thank you. Uh, Paul, could you, could you address this for us, please? Yeah, for me, I mean, I think the number one thing for us in terms of trying to differentiate ourselves with a customer is, is our operational excellence. You know, LNG is a really demanding cargo, as 
as Nicholas will, will also attest to, and you have very demanding customers. And I think the ability to, to move that rateably uh, and safely all the time is still really very highly valued uh, in the LNG market and something that we spend a lot of time and a lot of focus on. And then you try and ally that with trying to be flexible and innovative with your customer and, and providing the service that they want. And so, you know, very, very simply, always for me, it comes down to how well can you operate these ships? How safely can you operate these ships? And how can you then make your you know, customers look good in their customers' eyes? When you go to the terminal, how do you make sure that it's a flawless operation every time and that the terminal are inviting you or you're wanting uh, to invite you back? And I think if you can do that still in the LNG industry, you can differentiate yourself um, in, in terms of, uh, of the returns that you can get. And for the investors, of course, having taken the parent company uh, private earlier this year with, with BlackRock, it's really around um, Gaslog Partners. And there, I think, um, you know, what's interesting is they're becoming one of the few uh, companies that are still listed with, with a parent company going with um, now with Herg's uh, MLP being taken out, with TK now going private. If you really want to play the LNG market, you know, not just LNG shipping, but the LNG market, there are very few options out there. And I think having that, um, you know, having that combination of, of private and public, I think the public uh, company uh, can, can benefit from that. So I think uh, um, uh, with their exposure to now what we're seeing as a strong spot market, I think it's be a really interesting time for, uh, for the partnership. Thank you, uh, Petros. Let's let's have your thoughts on on what 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 differentiates. Uh, how do you differentiate differentiate yourself in the market? Thank you, Ted. I think a number of things actually. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, size, which is important for economies of scale. Um, our attention to costs. We are uh, among, if not the lowest, OPEX. Operators in uh, in uh, our in dry bulk sector, um, then um, uh, the quality of uh, of uh, our management, which is proven by our top right ship ranking, and it's a good combination: good quality and low costs. Then um, the fact that our management company is part of Starbuck, we align our interests with our shareholders. Um, I think we have very good governance. We're transparent. We have solid risk management practices, um, a board composition that takes pleasure in challenging management. Um, <laughs> um, generally, we, we're shareholder friendly. We try to do things that, uh, uh, that assist our shareholders. Um, actually, in our dividends are going to be pretty good going forward. Um, and then uh, I think that we are we have a management team that um, thinks outside the box uh, in many occasions, and we have a very solid in-house market analysis departments that helps us a lot in our decision making commercially. All these things I think um, to a degree uh, actually assist our company to. Um, to do very well uh, compared to uh, our peer community. Hmm. 
Great, thank you. Um, I, I think it looks to me like we have uh, maybe seven or eight minutes, possibly 10. Um, several, so we, we're gonna we're gonna need to maybe just tighten up the answers a bit on the next on the next question. I think what I'll do is go with one of the questions that I had again presented to the group. You know, several comments have been made during the discussion uh, we, we, we we're having now on uh, you know the next the next uh, the next generation of ships, the technology, the fuel. Uh, and so I wanted to ask you each, you know, kind of how, you know, how you see that issue developing from 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 your company's perspective and, and maybe within the sector that you're operating, uh, you know, the IMO's um, uh, targets, objectives, requirements have, have been out have been out there now for a while. Uh, there have been some enhancements to those. H how do you see the process developing uh, in, in terms of creating um, a framework where ship owners um, have a have structurally have a framework that it will begin to make sense to make investment decisions in within. Uh, and I will start with uh, I'll start with Robert on that one. Okay, well I can imagine uh, most people are going to start with the engines, combustion, etc. But I think in the tanker business, you've got to first question whether or not you should order a new building or not. Full stop. Whether you know, regardless of what uh, form of combustion or other um, you know modern features you're going to have on it, and what I mean by that is already you've got space taken up into 2004. Very soon we'll be into 2006, and if you just go five years, first five years from 2006, you're into 231, and you're into that area where. You know, states like New York have said they don't want to have any uh, carbon cars by that time or, or um, trucks, that you could well have reached, you know, peak, peak oil at that uh, shortly there. And certainly if you have a vessel delivering in 2025, 20, 26, you're going to have to question whether it's viability over a 20-year period. Now, I think that that happens to be, you know, an advantage too, because we do have, and you know, we, we have a, a wind installation company and we know that, you know, we are actually going to have to, believe it or not, use gasoline and heating oil and conventional carbons for quite some time, certainly till, you know, the next six, seven, eight years. So I think that here, that that very question of what's going to happen to the headline demand side should also put a restraint on the supply response through new buildings, which could lead to mm -hmm. quite a boom during that period between now and the next five, six, seven years because of the, you know, the, the reluctance of capital just to throw money when, even when the market itself improves shortly. Yeah. I think that will be the key question. Okay. John Kustis, you mentioned specifically environmental regulations becoming increasingly critical um, within your sector, and I'm sure for the sector as a whole. Um, how do you, how do you, uh, how would you answer this? Well, at present, uh, there is really no clear path towards, uh, let's say, the decarbonized vessel. Okay, we all know that we're going to have technologically uh, vessels able to run methanol or ammonia 
but we don't really know when we will be able to have green methanol or green ammonia. Hmm. And it's uh, uh, really, to me, uh, it, it, it's, it will be really a disaster if shipping is forced uh, to use, uh, let's say, uh, fuels that supposedly uh, do not produce CO2. However, in order to produce them, uh, you have really used more CO2 than you would have had if you had a direct use on the engine of the vessel. Right. Uh, so this is extremely critical for everyone to understand. I think that ship technology to absorb, uh, let's say, these fuels can be moved relatively quickly and definitely much quicker than the availability of uh, these uh, fuels. So, uh, you know, to me, uh, we should be in all the industry, I mean, for the sake of the world, not just for our industry, try to make sure that we do not do more harm than good by pressing uh, ships to use, uh, for example, let's say ammonia, uh, that is used from processes uh, from natural gas that in the end will emit much more CO2 in the atmosphere. Got it. Uh, Got it. And we should concentrate, as I said, on other uh, fuel saving measures. And this is for our industry very important because we will be forced into slowing down. As Thank the you. only measure really to reduce CO2 in the medium term. Thank you. Uh, we're running, we're running short. Um, I'll ask, uh, I'd like to ask Paul Wogan, your, your, your thoughts on this. Yeah. I mean, I, I, maybe I'll just look at the short term. I, I would love it if we could get a bit more clarity around the rules and how they're going to be implemented. You know, we, we hear a lot of uh, talk at, uh, MO, but, but nothing firm and how, you know, and what are the consequences of not meeting these regulations? I, I, as, as, you know, someone working in shipping, if we could get that, then we can start to think about what the solutions are. I think in the short term, though, it, it's really interesting because I think with the LNG fleet, the answer is going to be slow steaming. And, you know, at a time when we're seeing the market tightening, slow steaming is going to uh, continue to tighten the market. So, um, you know, interesting times, I would love to see some more clarity around what the actual, you know, um, regulations are going to be and how they're going to be enforced and what the consequences of not meeting them are going to be. Okay. Um, I think, uh, panelists, we've, we've reached our, uh, our time. Uh, sorry, I didn't get to, to touch the other two panelists with this question. Um, it, it, it sounds to me, if I've, if I've, if I've not misheard, that um, there is still some way to go here before before the industry does have a more clear framework, uh, both in terms of technology and regulation, uh, that, that that I think is, is is certainly needed to 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 again make uh, make new investment decisions um, in, in a way that will be sustainable as we as we get out further in time. Um, so 
I'd like to thank you all again, guys. Uh, it's it's been a, a great a great uh, discussion. I think you've been uh, you've been uh, really uh, helpful in, in, in kicking this conference off in, in a good fashion. And uh, I appreciate I appreciate your uh, your participation. So uh, I will thank you and, and turn it over to Nicholas. Well, I would simply say a great thank you to all of you. As Ted pointed out, this has been a tremendous way to start the conference, and obviously. You are captains of the industry, uh, and thank you for your unique insight. Thank you very much. I can say that uh, looking at the, at the attendance, obviously, this uh, has been a tremendous panel and a great forum. Thank you very, very much, all of you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Nice job. Thank you. Thank you.